Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well as we inch closer to Christmas and toward the end of this godforsaken year. But even closer than that is everything through my lens on what's happening in the sports universe. And you've come to the right place to listen to it all here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 168 episodes, I welcome you guys back. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on all major platforms. Whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Amazon Music, or you can even go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about the podcast, about yours truly, etc. It is a Monday, December the 14th in the year of our Lord 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What's to expect on this podcast? This is as follows. Does Lance Lynn, Adam Eaton, Rice Alley Iglesias, and James McCann light a fire under your MLB hot stove? I didn't think so. The long, cold, hard winter of free agency has not even begun, but the Mets at least have a little gift under the Christmas tree and a one James McCann. I'll talk about that and why not getting JT Rio Muto and some of these other high-priced free agents are a good thing, although I do have one player in mind for this upcoming season, so you'll be sure to get my take on that as well. As the Indians are no longer going to be a part of their nickname as far as the baseball team is concerned, I know that doesn't come to the delight of the Cleveland faithful out there to root for their Indian team, but thankfully they're going to move forward with another name. I'll get into that later on, as well as everything happening in both college football and basketball as we have the championships of the conferences coming up this week, where Florida may have thrown away their national title hopes, and Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski complaining about reassessing the whole college basketball landscape as far as all these cancellations and postponements. Even the Alabama coach clapped back at him, so we'll get into that later on, as well as everything happening in the association, as the NBA season is just a week away, but during this preseason week, it's all about Kyrie, KD, James Harden, and even Paul George, so stay tuned for that, as well as my hero and zero of the week. But week 14 in the NFL caps off in Cleveland tonight with a good one between the Ravens and Browns, playoff implications abound. And yesterday's games, which translates to the theme for this podcast to open up here, is how a lot of teams have jockeyed for position in both the AFC and NFC. We've seen a change at the top of both conferences with now Green Bay leapfrogging over New Orleans and Kansas City doing the same over Pittsburgh with both teams losing there. We also saw what happened in Arizona where the Washington football team Got control of first place in the NFC East over a giant team that had a rough loss at home against the Arizona Cardinals. You also had a bunch of other teams looking to move up, whether your name is the Buffalo Bills. Also, the Cleveland Browns will look to do so tonight to get even closer to the Pittsburgh Steelers as far as the AFC North goes. All of that to encompass this segment here and to start us off as we always do, my winners and losers of the week. I'll start off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as being my first winner. Now, they had hit a tough stretch where they lost a bunch of games. They got off to that great start, as we all know. And then three of the last four games where they lost to not only the New Orleans Saints as they got swept in their season series, but they got bludgeoned there by Kansas City in their final game right before the bye. And then now coming out of the bye, playing against a Minnesota Viking team that has been Much better here in the second half, although they stubbed their toe against the Cowboys a couple weeks back. But yesterday, came back in good form, hoping that they could finish off the season strong. They're not going to win a division, even with the Saints losing there in Philadelphia yesterday. But as I said, with New Orleans sweeping them early this year, they have all the tiebreakers in the NFC South. 
So Tampa is looking to get themselves rubber on the road, get some traction to close out the season strong and make it, chances are, as a five seed as it looks like right now. And they would have to go on the road to the NFC East. But first things first, they got a big win against the Viking team there where a lot of people may not go crazy because it's the Vikings, but they have played better. And Tom Brady connecting with his old partner from New England down there in Tampa now and Rob Gronkowski, big touchdown there as the Buccaneers look to secure and punch their ticket to the postseason where the Vikings on the flip side of that, Dan Bailey, the kicker, not only missed four field goals, but also an extra point, tally that up, it's 13 points, they lose 26-14, do the math, if he were to connect on all of his kicks yesterday, the Vikings would have been victorious, so my guys, Kev the Viking fan and Headstyle out in Minnesota, I know that it's been a rough morning, and it'll be a rough week as they look to try to sneak into the NFC playoff picture, but the Buccaneers are winners number one this week, follow that up by the Washington football team. Because last week, if you remember, they had a Monday afternoon affair in Pittsburgh where they upset the Steelers, coming off the heels of the Giants, upsetting Seattle out in the Pacific Northwest. So they were able to be neck and neck, although the Giants do have the tiebreaker in the NFC East. But with the Giants losing, and we'll get to them in a minute, and the Washingtonians victorious, and it wasn't pretty. Alex Smith only played a half. He was 8 for 19, 78 yards, did not play well. They had to bring in Dwayne Haskins, who wasn't better. But it was Chase Young and the Washington defense who made a few splash plays to turn that game around, including a touchdown return from a fumble recovery by the aforementioned Chase Young. And the Washington football team, who have turned their season around to the tune of four straight victories, flying high, their next two games at home, Not an easy schedule as they host Seattle, then Carolina, and then have to go on the road to Philadelphia, but right now are in the driver's seat in the NFC East to go ahead and win a division that, as we all know, has been up for grabs for weeks, but as of right now, they're in pole position and are looking pretty good with a couple of games at home this stretch here over the last three weeks, and let's see if they'll be able to capitalize on that with this win streak that they've been able to put together and get themselves in a spot where they can control their own destiny, and win a division that's been hot potato pretty much for the last four or five weeks. Now to my losers of the week. I'm going to start off with the Giants because with everything that they've done here over the last few weeks, and we understand the division is bad, and we get that they came into this game at 5-7, and but with an Arizona Cardinal team that has been hurting, they've been floundering, After that miracle win against Buffalo, they had lost three straight games and they had to fly back east once again to play a giant team that was riding high off of that win in in Seattle last week. And here it was, they laid an absolute dud. Daniel Jones was back under center for the New York Giants and he came back to the tune of not one, not two, not three, not four, but being sacked five times by Hassan Reddick, including three fumbles. Just a monster performance by the Cardinals linebacker. And the futile attempt by the giant offense, which has been futile for the most part all year, but couldn't come up big in their building, understood no fans, but still you would think they would ride high off of that performance in Seattle the week before, and they fizzled big time. So they're my losers, number one. And number two, for the first time, and I'm going to cut right to the chase because I usually save them for last, are the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then people could say, especially the Bills Mafia, would say, well, Jay Reels, how come the Buffalo Bills aren't one of your winners of the week? Although this was a big game for Buffalo in their building, they've lost to other AFC opponents such as Tennessee and Kansas City this year, and this was a litmus test for a team that this late in the year wondered if they could hang with some of the AFC top teams as they haven't done so early this year and give Buffalo credit. They made adjustments there in the second half. Josh Allen threw the ball over the lot after a very subpar first half and they were able to take off and hang on and win 26-15. But to me, this is more about the Steelers for two reasons. One, they lost their grip on the one seed in the AFC, which is tough because as we all know, Kansas City is a juggernaut. We'll get to them in a little bit later on. Now for them to be a game behind with three to go, chances are they are not going to be anywhere near a one seed unless they win out. And there's no way that the Steelers will win three in a row and the Chiefs are going to lose two of their final three. They could lose next week to New Orleans, but they wrap up their season in a home game against the Chargers and then they play in between that the Atlanta Falcons. 
So there is no way that they are going to lose two of the next three. And chances are they're going to be the one seed and have the bye in the AFC. That's number one. And then number two, depending on what happens tonight, and you know that the Browns are going to be revved up to try to do whatever they can to get the Ravens out of the AFC playoff picture, but then even inch closer to the Pittsburgh Steelers because then if they win the night, there'll be a game behind them with the game being played at the final back end, week 17, between the Steelers and Browns in Cleveland. And if you're the Steelers right now, you are in a tizzy wondering what the hell's going on with this offense. Because when we look back at the game last night, their defense was stellar in the first half. They played excellent. Josh Allen made a couple of bad throws. One was an interception there by Mike Hilton. The other one was more of a fumble there by Dawson Knox. But it wasn't on Josh Allen. They did whatever they could to try to fluster the young quarterback who has played well here over the last few weeks. And as great as they were defensively in the first half, they just fell apart in the second half. As I mentioned, Buffalo made some adjustments. Allen was not only accurate, but was coming out of the gate in that third quarter. Was 11 for 11 with two touchdowns on those opening drives there of the second half. And pretty much put the game away after being down 7-0 early. And then the killer right before the half at 52 seconds to go where Ben Roethlisberger throws a pick six there to Taron Johnson. And that was the biggest play of the game. Because Pittsburgh had to go uphill from that point. Buffalo got the ball to start the second half. It was all Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, throwing a ball all over the lot, finding a lot of soft coverages in that zone defense. And Pittsburgh, although they made a little bit of a threat there in the early part of the fourth quarter by cutting the score to eight, with the touchdown to Juju Smith-Schuster, but the game was not in doubt. And when you look at this Steeler offense, here now three weeks in a row, they haven't been able to get to 20 points. They struggled in that Raven game two weeks ago. It was on a Wednesday. Then last Monday, which I obviously didn't talk about since the podcast was released prior to the start of that game, just a putrid performance where they couldn't get a yard on a first and goal against the Washingtonians and how they can't even run the ball to save their lives here over the last few weeks. And this has been pretty much going on for the last six, seven, eight weeks. Because all we have to do is look at those games in Tennessee, the game in Baltimore, the game in Dallas. They couldn't run the ball if their life depended on it. And it's just a shame that this is a team, as we all know, the proud franchise that the Pittsburgh Steelers are, tough defense, the running game. We understand it's 2020. It's a whole different element when it comes to running the football the way they once did. And with the injuries that are hit this team now, not only in the linebacker position, but now here we go with the offensive line where Matt Filer and Kevin Dotson both go out with injuries and who knows what their status is going to be moving forward. But it's bad enough that your offensive line's falling apart where you don't have a run game. What does this mean for your passing game, which is now up in the air? And as much as the Steeler fan wants to get on the offensive coordinator, Randy Fickner, You can't because, A, with no semblance of a running game to have any type of balance in this offense, number one. And number two, he has to use those short passes, the dink and dunk, just to get three, four, five yards to get some sort of short yardage, second and five or even a third and two. Because you could put Franco Harris or get Barry Foster or even Jerome Bettis out of retirement and they're not going to be able to do the job behind this offensive line right now. They just won't. And it also goes to show you that no matter how many type of backs you could put in there, whether it's Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels, even James Conner, who I thought would give them a little bit of a boost, this running back by committee is not going to cut it here for the rest of this year. But they have to generate some yards on the ground. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what Randy Fickner and company are going to have to do to come up with a game plan to try to get them to run the ball a little bit more and as effective as possible. But you can't kill them because... You just don't have any type of talent there at the running back position. So over the last few weeks, a lot of these teams are going to play close to the line of scrimmage because they know that the Steelers aren't going to try to go for the deep ball all the time. As you've seen, they haven't been doing that over the last few weeks because they have to throw short. So teams are going to gear up for that. And that's why you see the Steelers on a lot of three and outs come up short on a lot of these fourth downs, especially in these last couple of weeks. So this team that jumped out to winning its first 11 games and some of them by the skin of their teeth, now they've hit the abutment. And even though a lot of people want Fickner off the team and they want him fired as well as Tomlin, which is crazy because although I'm a cynical fan, but I've always been a realist. 
And again, this doesn't fall at the feet of Fickner. It's an absolute joke because where were those same fans in the first few weeks of the season when they were putting up 38 points and 35 points? Where were they then? Randy Fickner wasn't a problem at that time. So that's number one. And then number two, they do have these next three weeks to figure it out. And finally, they get some semblance of a work week that they have a game Monday night against the Bengals. They don't have to worry about having a game postponed or short weeks or having to play on a Wednesday or Tuesday or Monday. No, no. Hopefully that's not the case. And when I say Monday, I'm talking 5.05, not primetime, 8.15. So let's see if they regroup from this. You can forget about the one seed. If you're the Steelers right now, you just look at the next game ahead of you and that's it. They have Indianapolis the week after that who are playing well. And then they have Cleveland that final week, which I said just a couple of minutes ago. Right now, they're going to be salivating knowing that if they win, they'll just be a game behind them. Now, mind you, Pittsburgh beat them early in the year. So they still control their own destiny as far as winning the division. And they did clinch a playoff spot yesterday with Miami losing to Kansas City. So... No matter what, even if the Steelers lose five in a row here to end the season, they're still going to make the playoffs. But the bottom line is, is that they need to regroup quick, fast, in a hurry because that 11-0 start looks like it was 10 months ago. And again, when you look at the performance of this team yesterday, they got a break with that Dawson Knox fumble where three plays later they punched it into the end zone. And thankfully, the counter fumble was recovered by Juju because if not... The ball would have gone to Buffalo, and who knows? They probably wouldn't have scored all night. The way this offense has performed here. But you look at this linebacking core with Bud Dupree out since the Raven game and plugging and playing these linebackers, whether your name is Avery Williamson or even throwing in a guy like Marcus Allen who's a safety but is playing linebacker or Ulysses Gilbert. You have all these guys that are now becoming part of the defense late in the season But they're not going to be enough to substitute for an all-pro like Bud Dupree or obviously a guy like Devin Bush or even Robert Spillane who played well when he was in the lineup and who knows when he's going to return. So this Steeler team is going to have to wake up from its slumber. Granted that they have the Bengals coming up, which should be the remedy for all their ills. But if they cannot run this football and if they're going to have to resort to this passing game, which is... Pretty much been from hunger, let's face it. They have not scored over 20 points in the last three games, and they're trending backwards. 19 against Baltimore, 17 against Washington, and now 15 last night. So let's see what's going to happen here as we get deeper into this NFL season. All right, now to go through week 14, and there are going to be quite a few games I'm not going to discuss. I'm not going to talk about the Bears winning against the Texans. I understand a lot of people talked about the Mitchell Trubisky versus Deshaun Watson with the decision of the Bears taking Trubisky over Watson. And please, I'm not going to get into that. Nor am I going to get into Dallas's win in Cincinnati where Andy Dalton came home to throw two touchdowns. I'm not going to discuss the Jets being bludgeoned again by the Seattle Seahawks, 40-3. Although Jamal Adams has the record for most sacks by defensive back, where I believe it's eight and a half where Adrian Wilson, the old Cardinal safety, had the record, if you're crazy about that. I'm not going to get into Derrick Henry's 215 yards rushing, the fourth time he's done that, with two touchdowns, the only player in NFL history to do it four times, in disposing of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not going to get into the Chargers beating the Falcons on a last-second field goal. Same for Denver beating Carolina in Carolina. A far cry from Super Bowl 50, the rematch of that game. And your Thursday night game where New England blasted the Chargers a week before. They didn't show up against the Rams where Cam Akers rushed for 171 yards. And they're a game under 500. And you could say goodbye to any playoff hopes that the Patriots have. So we could rejoice and not have to see Bill Belichick's face on the sideline come January or even February. So I'll start with the game in Miami where if you're the Kansas City Chiefs and you lose the turnover battle 4-1 to but you win comfortably 33-27 just goes to show you the type of team they are and the mission that they're on to repeat this year because that team is unstoppable. Now they're going to play the Saints this week and we'll talk about the Week 15 schedule a little bit later but where Patrick Mahomes throws for 392 yards and threw three interceptions in the game. He threw two all year coming into the game, and he throws three yesterday, 
And then also with a fumble for four turnovers to the Dolphins won, and they still won going away. I get that the Dolphins made it close. They tried an onside kick, was unsuccessful. So although the score was 33-27, and this was them trailing 10-0 in the first quarter. But they took over in the second quarter. Mahomes does his magic. Now their defense can be had against a good offensive team. So whether you're Tennessee, if you happen to play against them in a rematch as you did in the AFC Championship game last year where if you could get Derrick Henry to rush for 150 yards plus, who knows? They may have a shot because that's going to keep Patrick Mahomes and their offense on the sideline. But right now, the Chiefs are hands down the best team in the NFL. And that's not a hot take by any stretch. And the Dolphins, when you look at them, we said going into these final four games was going to be tricky because from here on out, they have to play Las Vegas as well as to go to Buffalo in that final game of the season, which is not going to be easy. But first, they have their final home game against New England, which is not going to be easy. And although they've had success against the Patriots down there in recent years, certainly not going to be an enviable task for the Dolphins to go ahead and try to win as the Patriots will do whatever it takes to foil the Dolphins' chances of making it to the playoffs. So an uphill battle for Brian Flores and company as the Dolphins have made plenty of strides this year, but right now are looking at a long off season, despite the fact that they're currently in the seventh spot in the AFC, but it's very daunting to say the least over the course of these final three weeks to make it into the AFC playoff picture. Speaking of the Vegas Raiders, how about the performance at home against the Colts yesterday? And the Colts are such a weird team. You don't know what you're going to get from one week to the next. They could get blown out at home by Tennessee, but then yesterday they go to Vegas and they win going away behind Jonathan Taylor's 150 plus yards and two touchdowns. And what could you say? The Colts hanging in there with Tennessee neck and neck for the AFC South. Now we'd have to look to see what lies ahead for both of those teams. They're already done with their season series. I know the Colts will play the Texans this coming weekend. But we'll get a look at their schedules down the stretch to see where both of those teams will end up. And the Colts, what can you say? They've done a masterful job here. They got off to that good start again this year. They hit a little bit of a snag there a few weeks back with those tough losses there, in particular the one to Tennessee. But they've righted the ship and they've played well here to the tune of a 9-4 and record and put themselves entrenched in the AFC playoff picture. Now, we'll see what happens with Vegas. I think their season is done. They're going to be toast after that miraculous win against the Jets last week. For them to come home to put up that stinker is just inexcusable. And even though they have the Chargers coming in to play this week on a Thursday night, and they still have to have the Dolphins come to visit them before they wrap up their season against Denver, schedule is favorable, but at the same time, it looks like they've dug themselves too much of a hole as they're 7-6 and six in the AFC with the Ravens still having to play tonight against the Browns ahead of them. And the the Ravens schedule a lot easier. It looks like the Raiders are going to fall by the wayside here in the AFC. As for the NFC, the Packers clinch another NFC North title. What else is new as they beat the Lions? Lions were competitive in this game, but the Packers did just enough to win 31-24 in Detroit, which is somewhat of a house of horrors for the Packers over the years. But they're now 10-3, and and with them winning and a loss by the New Orleans Saints in Philadelphia yesterday where Philly hung on to win 24-21. They jumped out to a 17-0 lead. They ended up coming back there to make it close, but the Eagles, for at least this day, were victorious behind Jalen Hurts, who got his first professional win. Hurts was okay in the game, wasn't spectacular, wasn't great, but he did the job, got his first win as an NFL quarterback. And people could say... Jay Reels, how come the Saints weren't one of the losers this week? Well, think about it. The Saints have won nine straight games. This could have been your quintessential trap game. Not to say that they were looking ahead to play the Chiefs next week in their building. But the Eagles, as we all know, they've been floundering all year long. And because it was in their building, and there are chances where teams like the Saints, or any team for that matter, could take an opponent lightly. And to me, that's what happened here. They didn't think that Jalen Hurts was going to be able to do the job. They felt that their defense was going to take over the game. As we know, their defense is formidable. And they weren't able to find any answers, especially in that second quarter 
against Philadelphia and they had to play catch up the whole day and just ran out of time. So you know what? They could lose a bad game along the way considering they started off one and two and they've run the table since then. But now yesterday with their loss and with Green Bay beating New Orleans earlier this year, they have the top seed, the Packers that is, in the NFC. So as we survey both conferences in the NFC, the Packers and Saints both tied at 10-3, and but as I mentioned before, with the tiebreaker of Green Bay beating New Orleans earlier this year, they have the top seed, and their final three games are Carolina, Tennessee, and then their final game is at Chicago. So you would think that the Packers, even though the middle game against Tennessee could be tricky, that's a Sunday night game, but their schedule is favorable, whereas the Saints have the Chiefs, the Vikings on Christmas Day, so it's a short week. Remember, five-day turnaround against a Viking team that may be desperate for a playoff spot. And then their final game of the season is against Carolina. So Green Bay is certainly in the driver's seat at this point. They have a much better schedule than the Saints do, but we'll see how that plays out. Next up is the Rams at number three in the NFC. Now they're tied with the Seahawks as far as the NFC West is concerned. But with the tiebreaker advantage that the Rams have beaten them early this year and they still have a game left, the Rams currently have the three spot where the fourth spot is being held by the Washingtonians. Number five is Seattle at the moment, followed by Tampa Bay, number six, and then Arizona with their win yesterday and with the Vikings losing. They are right now alone in the NFC at the number seven spot. So the Vikings and Bears at 6-7 and seven are pretty much the only two teams that will threaten the Arizona Cardinals. You can forget about the Lions at 5-8 and eight and all the other teams in the NFC. So you have Vikings, Bears, Cardinals for those spots in the NFC as far as the top seven are concerned. And as we move to the AFC, Kansas City holds your top spot at 12-1, followed by Pittsburgh at 11-2, Buffalo at 10-3, and, and it's going to be interesting because Buffalo and Pittsburgh is also a race for seeding that is going to be scrutinized where now if Buffalo and Pittsburgh are tied with the same record at the end of the year, Buffalo will have the advantage of being a two seed in the AFC. We'll see how that plays out. And we also got to throw in the Browns, especially if they win the night. But as for right now, Buffalo is at your number three seed at 10 and three, followed by Tennessee, who have the tiebreaker over the Indianapolis Colts. In the AFC, but then you have Cleveland at five, Indianapolis at six, the Dolphins are at seven at eight and five. That could change tonight. Now, if the Ravens win tonight, they'll also be eight and five, but they will be on the outside looking in because of their conference record. The Ravens, right now, if they win tonight, they'll be five and five in the conference, where the Dolphins, right now, are currently five and four. So they're hanging on by the hairs of their chinny chin chin if the Ravens do happen to win tonight. So that race is going to come down to the wire, you would think. Now the Ravens schedule down the stretch is a lot easier because after tonight, they host Jacksonville, the Giants, and then play their final game in Cincinnati. So you would think that the Ravens, even if they lose tonight, they'll still run the table to get the 10 wins. And in Miami, we talked about their schedule. New England, which is a winnable game, they got to go to Vegas, which that's also a winnable game too, but the Raiders can be feisty. And then their final game is at Buffalo. So you can forget about the division if you're the Dolphins right now. You're just looking to make it in the AFC with one of those seven spots, or in this case in particular, as a seven seed. So lots to chew on here over these last few weeks. All this positioning. Yesterday, we saw a seismic shift here with both one seeds as of yesterday morning fall down to number two. And then we see a lot of these teams either creeping up, whether you're Buffalo or even Washington for that matter, and then teams that are sliding a little bit, Dolphins, of course the Raiders, as this NFL season continues to provide a lot of drama and a lot of intrigue as we get that much closer to an end of an NFL season. And a couple of things before I turn my attention to Week 15. With the Jets losing yesterday... They're going to go 0-16. No surprise there. Not a hot take. If you look at their schedule, they play the Rams in LA this coming Sunday. Follow that by Cleveland at home. 
and then they go to New England for the final game of the season. If you were to look to see which one of those three games they could win, I could see them beating the Browns. Because the Browns, although they're good, but they're not good to play down to an opponent to where they feel like they could just turn on the switch and then become victorious. That still remains to be seen because this Jet team, as we all know, is pathetic. And there's going to be an overhaul of overhauls here at the end of the season. We all know that Greg Williams was fired, and I talked about it last week, that he wasn't going to make it to the end of the season. Well, he didn't even make it to the end of Monday. So with Williams out, you know Gase is going to be out. You would think there's going to be an overhaul. Who knows, Joe Douglas will probably survive this as he's just been the GM for five minutes here. But if you're Chris Johnson and you want to take a stand, you will get him out of here as well. And it's not to knock Joe Douglas. It's not to knock what he's done. We understand he made the trade there for Jamal Adams, bringing those picks back, etc. But we all know the Jet franchise is not just a rebuild. That is a reconstruction. And with Jacksonville losing yesterday, there's still a game ahead of the Jets for the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, so we'll keep our eyes on that. And as we look ahead to Week 15, this is the first week where you have your two Saturday games. Although it falls on the Saturday of Conference Championship Weekend, which we'll get to in a minute with the college circuit, but the NFL will entertain two games where Buffalo at Denver will be your 4.30 game, followed by Carolina at Green Bay at 8.15, both games on NFL Network. And that will be the appetizer to Sunday's main course. Well, really, I guess you could say it's the soup and salad prior to Sunday's main course because your appetizer is Thursday night, as I mentioned before, Chargers and Raiders. But Sunday's slate is back to being a dud because your game of the day by far is Kansas City at New Orleans, and that's a 425 kickoff, CBS, Jim Nance, Tony Romo. Your Sunday night game, which was flexed out, San Francisco and Dallas, so now it's Cleveland at New York. And with the Giants losing last week, it loses a little bit of steam there, you got to admit. Your Monday night game is Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, as I mentioned earlier. But your Sunday games, get ready for this. Tampa at Atlanta, San Francisco at Dallas, Detroit at Tennessee, Houston and Indianapolis, New England at Miami, Chicago at Minnesota, Seattle at Washington. All right, I'll give you that one. Maybe only because Washington's in first place in Seattle. They got to come cross country. We'll see. Jacksonville at Baltimore. The Jets at the Los Angeles Rams and Philadelphia, Arizona. That is your Sunday slew of games on the schedule. NFL had a good week of games yesterday. And now you resort back to the JV. And when we talked about Indianapolis and Tennessee real quick, Indianapolis' final few games, because as I mentioned, both teams are tied at the top of the AFC South. The Colts, as we mentioned, they have the Texans in their building, followed by a game in Pittsburgh, and then Jacksonville. So, pretty easy schedule. I know the Steelers are in between, but they can win two out of three. And when we look at Tennessee, they have that tough game in the middle where they have to go to Green Bay, and then they host Detroit, and then their final game is against Houston. So, we'll see how the AFC South shapes up as we continue to monitor this NFL season And now to transition to the college season as their seasons are pretty much going to be complete after this week. We know that the bowls will take place. Some of them, I know a lot of teams have backed out of participating in any of the bowls this year, including LSU, which is an absolute joke. And LSU is part of this college football segment here. But if you're Ed Orgeron and company, to give yourselves a self-imposed one-year ban from participating in any bowls this year, and this is on the heels of what happened last year with former players, in particular Odell Beckham Jr., giving money to players after them winning the national title, among other things that have happened off the field. It's almost as if, all right, well, we'll give ourselves a break. We'll dust ourselves off. Our bad. We shouldn't have done that. We're going to just go away for this offseason and show and repent for all the things that we've done. But you damn well know that if they were in the mix for a national title this year, That wouldn't even have been a thought in any of the organization or the institution's brain trust, including the head coach. So please, you can take that for what it's worth and just throw it in the garbage if you ask me. But LSU was a big part of this weekend as they upended the Florida Gators and pretty much what that boiled down to, people, if you didn't see the video. The cornerback of Florida, Marco Wilson, after a third down stop 
where they held LSU short of the first down marker and the player shoe came off and Wilson decided to use it as a javelin to throw it across the field or really down the field. He didn't throw it across, but he threw it downfield. There was a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty. What ensued was a 57-yard field goal and give it up to the Florida kicker for executing that. And Florida, not going to say that they threw their national title hopes in the garbage because they're still going to play Alabama this weekend. But you wonder if that's going to hover over their shoulders, over their heads throughout the week because having that loss on the dock, it means that they go ahead and lose this week. They're not going to make it, obviously, as far as the national title mix is concerned. But you also have to think by them losing that game, even if they upend Alabama and if certain things break the way they do and we'll get into all the permutations in a second, that the loss against LSU could hurt them not making it to the college football Final Four. And let's get right to it. We know that the Ohio State Buckeyes are going to be part of that Final Four. They're going to beat Northwestern this week. And a lot of people probably wondered whether or not they were going to play in the championship game considering that Michigan stepped out and didn't play with all the COVID cases that they had on their team. But the Big Ten due to a rule adjustment of having to play at least six games. They were going to go ahead and play with the five wins that they have under their belt and compete for the Big Ten Championship this coming Saturday. You know Alabama is going to make it, even if they lose to Florida Saturday night. They're going to be team number two. Here's where it could get a little tricky, dicey, however you want to call it. If Notre Dame wins their game against Clemson, Clemson will have two losses and both at the hands of Notre Dame, as we know. So a lot of people will argue, does Clemson deserve to be in the college football Final Four despite their prowess, despite everything that they've accomplished, not only just this year, but they're going to not look at years past, but just the reputation, Dabo Sweeney, Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, etc. Well, it all depends on what Florida does. Now, if Florida upsets Alabama, and if Notre Dame does beat Clemson, Florida has a good argument to be part of the college football playoff. Now, we talked about the one loss with LSU. Is that going to be bad? Even with the two losses to Notre Dame because of the competition and where Florida loses to LSU of all teams? Because you cannot look at this LSU team as a reputable one of years past and including last year when it won a national title. So, you would have to have Notre Dame beat Clemson, Florida beat Alabama. If you want to even throw Texas A&M in the mix as they play Tennessee this week, that's also a team that we have to put at the forefront here if Clemson and Alabama both lose. Because as we know, if Alabama wins, Clemson wins, Ohio State wins, your final four are right there. Because Notre Dame's not going to fall out of the top four even if Texas A&M, as expected, does beat Tennessee this coming Saturday. I'd be shocked if that's the case. They're going to want Notre Dame part of this college football playoff. But if you get the crazy scenario where, let's just say if Clemson loses, what does that mean for A&M or even Florida for that matter? Especially if Florida loses a close nail-biter against Alabama in this championship game. And also A&M, what they do this week against Tennessee and just overall if Clemson does lose. But if Clemson loses and Alabama loses, then we have a quandary. Because then the people down in Gainesville are going to wonder, hey, does Florida make it to the Final Four? But then the A&M people down in Texas are going to say, what about us? You're going to look at all these different scenarios and how it all unfolds. But if you ask me at the end of the day, I think Alabama's going to win against Florida. Kyle Trask is going to have to put up the game of his life to beat Alabama because they're a juggernaut and Trask is the quarterback of Florida. Clemson, you know they're going to want some redemption after the loss there and that was without Trevor Lawrence in South Bend. So I could see them winning. And we talked about Ohio State and Northwestern. So your Final Four is going to be intact, people, unless something just totally upends the college football world as I mentioned the scenario before with Clemson and Alabama both losing. Then that's when you have some fun and we'll see how it all unfolds. But right now, I do not see that being the case. In fact, I'd be shocked. Can I see Clemson lose? Yes. Can I see Alabama lose? No. 
the, the way they performed this year, this isn't the Alabama team of last year. This team, I think, is on a mission to get back to not only to a national title, but winning it. And I can't stand Alabama. I hope they lose in the Final Four to whomever they play. But let's face it. There's no way that even if they do lose, Alabama could get blown out in the game, which we know is not going to happen, but they could lose 42-10, and they're still going to make it to the college football playoff. To me, this just boils down to Clemson, them losing, and who's going to move into that slot. And that could even be controversial because a lot of people will still take Clemson with the coach, with the quarterback, with their pedigree over A&M, Florida, etc. But we'll see. Saturday is going to be very intriguing. 12 o'clock is Ohio State. 4 o'clock is Clemson, Notre Dame. And 8 o'clock is Alabama, Florida. So we'll keep our eyes on that. Quickly, some college football firings. Auburn fired their coach, Gus Malzahn, after eight seasons. Now, I haven't followed Auburn football that much, but I guess maybe it was just time for a change. Auburn, as we know, they beat Alabama last year. Big whoop. But at the same time, who cares what happened last year with the Auburn team, but now they're going to be looking for a new coach as well as the fighting Illini of Illinois with Lovey Smith. And a lot of people know Lovey Smith from his days in the NFL. So he gets let go after five seasons. So that's what you have there with the college football people. All right, now to turn my attention to the association, and that would be of the NBA. And with the preseason already begun and the season just eight days ahead of us, All that I'm going to talk about here are these four names. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Paul George. And I'll go in that order. Kyrie Irving, before the start of the preseason, released a statement, not meeting with the media. Pretty much the statement encompasses this upcoming year, championship aspirations, everything that's gone on pretty much this offseason, a little bit of his life, and that he's not speaking to the media, which he and the team were fined $25,000. It's easy to pick on Kyrie here. All I'm going to say is that just meet the media. It's part of your job. I get that there are going to be nights where you're not going to want to face the media, but Kyrie, not a good look. You're one of the leaders of this team. This is a an organization that is looking to try to get any type of respectability and any Relevance, which you're going to see throughout the course of this year because they're going to get a ton of national games. They're going to be one of the key contributors to this NBA season as far as just the personnel that they have on their team and even the coach for that matter, who's a Hall of Fame point guard who's getting into his first foray as a coach. So they're going to be on the NBA radar from start to finish. And for one of your leaders to not speak to the media and not be a part of it, and we know that he's a strange bird in that regard. He dances to his own drum, his own beat, and... We know that when you're part of the NBA, you have a responsibility to meet with the media. That's all there is to it. And he can prolong this for as long as he wants, but he's going to have to answer to it at some point. This can't go on all year because I'm sure that the NBA is going to come cracking down and you would think the owner, Joseph Tsai, and even the head coach for that matter is going to say, please, Kyrie, we're going to have to have you meet the media at some point. That's number one. Number two, Kevin Durant played in his first Game with the Brooklyn Nets last night against the Washington Wizards. A game in which he had 15 points, shot 5 of 12 from the field, and said all the right things afterwards. Good to be back out there. Felt great. Little nervous. Anxious, etc. Just wants to get back into the flow of playing up to basketball speed and get the season rolling on the quest for a championship. So KD is primed and ready to go considering he had not played in a game since game five of the NBA Finals back in 2019. So that was a good sign to see and hear from Kevin Durant. Now let's get to James Harden. He still wants out of Houston. Even with John Wall, part of that trade there a couple weeks ago with Russell Westbrook and Wall wanting to ingratiate himself with the disgruntled MVP or former MVP, But he doesn't want to hear any of it. And he's looking to either Philadelphia, maybe even Brooklyn. But you would think Brooklyn's going to get shot down because there were reports that the Rockets were asking for either Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant. And you know, Sean Marks, the GM of the Brooklyn Nets, hung up the phone. And then with Philadelphia, it's either going to be Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons. And the only way for the Rockets to make this trade is that they're going to have to take a contract of that magnitude back. 
or contracts because Harden, as we know, is owed three years and about $131 million. So for the Rocket fan that thinks that they're going to get James Harden for a boatload of number one draft picks, you're sadly mistaken. They're going to have to take some contracts back and if they cannot match up with any of those teams, and you can forget about the Knicks too, because I'm sure Houston's probably thinking about wanting to make a trade with the Knicks, but the Knicks do not have exorbitant contracts on that team right now. And there's no way the Knicks, in their right frame of mind, they're going to trade future number one first picks for a guy that's 32 years old who is still highly effective and potent, productive, etc. But is going to be at the back end of this deal where the Knicks aren't going to be close to being good or being competitive by the time he's into that last year of the contract or when he's gone. So if you're the Rockets right now, I'm sure you're in the driver's seat knowing that if you're Raphael Stone, the GM, or Steven Silas, the coach, you're going to have to tell your player, and we get, this is a whole new era of player empowerment, 2020, NBA, etc. That the players have all the leverage. And this is what's wrong with the NBA from this regard. Because Harden is going to pout, cry, do whatever it takes to try to get out of there. But if they don't have another team that's going to match the aforementioned trade, contracts, etc. Harden's going to have to stay put. So he could do whatever he wants to try to get himself traded. And this isn't a situation like Anthony Davis or Carmelo Anthony where they're in the last year of their deal and they could look to force a trade to the team that they want to go to and then align the trade to where they could get pieces back and not have to worry about taking in bad contracts or have to worry about having to deal with all the minutiae of a trade in that regard. So you would hope that the Rockets will stay put and not trade him 50 cents out of dollar or just to appease him to get him out of there and look at him and say, you're here for three more years. You're going to have to grin and bear it or not get paid. So if you're James Harden right now, you are, I understand you're upset and you're looking to find the first team to welcome you in with open arms. But you signed that long-term deal and you wanted that big contract to be the man in Houston. Well, guess what? Continue trying to be the man in Houston because you're not going to go anywhere. And if he does get traded, let's say between now and I'll just throw in the trade deadline sometime around the All-Star break or what would have been the All-Star break this year, then shame on the Rockets. Because what? He's going to try to force his hand to maybe go to a team that's a title contender or even maybe Miami for that regard. But Miami's not going to trade Bam Adebayo, obviously Jimmy Butler, because they would have to take that type of contract back in order for that trade to work. So, let's see. He's going to be in a quandary here for this whole year, and I love it because, as we all know, as prolific as an offensive player as he is, he is not a money player when it's crunch time. And we've seen that time and time and time again. And as far as Paul George, four years, $190 million extension. I get he's going to get that big money. He's not worth that money, as we all know, because he's a guy, again, in the regular season, he could dominate, he could have his games. He floats in and out of games more than Harden does. But we know George, when he's on his A game, it's very good. But that's the thing, when he's on his A game. Because as we've seen, all you got to do is just look at those final few games in the postseason against Denver, including that final game where he was bricking shots left to right, shots off the side of the backboard. You're going to pay $190 million for a guy like that? Now we know he can defend. We know he's a very good small forward. We know he's an all-star player. He's an all-NBA caliber player. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's an all-NBA winning player. And that's the difference between a guy like Kevin Durant. I won't even say LeBron James. It's unfair to LeBron James. But guys who have the heart, metal, and as I like to say, testicular fortitude to take their team to the mountaintop because all the talent in the world is certainly going to help you to get to that point or to certain points in the season. But what's going to get you over that is what's in that chest and in that gut. Now to transition to college basketball real quick. I know Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski has been in the news this week with college basketball. And I understand that he wants to 
look at the lay of the land in college basketball with these young kids, with the travel, with the schedule, and have the powers that be reassess about playing these games due to cancellations, due to postponements as we've seen so far this year, especially with Baylor in particular. But it's interesting because the coach of Alabama, and no, I'm not talking about Nick Saban, but the coach of Alabama, Nate Oates had a few things to say about that because with two losses that Mike Krzyzewski and company, and this isn't a vintage Duke team as we know it, but by them losing a couple of games this week, one at the hands of Illinois just recently, and then earlier against Michigan State, yes, it's easy for you to cry wolf about, oh, we need to reassess these games when you lost two games at home to non-conference opponents, but you wonder if he would have beaten number six Illinois and Tom Izzo at Michigan State, would he have had that same energy to bring to the press conference about wanting to postpone or cancel these games or reevaluating what's going on here in college basketball? You know what the answer is to that. So Nate Oates firing some shots across the bow at the almighty Duke and legendary coach Mike Krzyzewski, and he's right. There isn't any if ands, buts, maybes about it. And we understand that this is what's happening, not only just in college basketball, but in all sports. And it does go back to the question, why are these teams playing, considering what's happening in this country and the cases spiking up by the second, and we understand the vaccine is here, but it's not going to take some time in order for everybody to be inoculated. We get all that. But at the same time, we all know they're doing this for the almighty dollar. That's what it is. And that's what it will always be. We know how much money the NCAA lost last year during March Madness. And you think they want to lose more money come this year, especially since they've already started the season? Is it right? Of course it's not right. But when they see all the other leagues do it, the NFL, Major League Baseball finished their season, 60 games, etc., the bubbles in the NBA and NHL, you know damn well college basketball is going to say, all right, let's step our toe into the pool and let's see if it's going to stay warm or it's going to get cold or it's going to get hot. We're just going to have to do it. So nobody should be surprised in that regard. And then our thoughts and prayers go out to the Florida kid, the forward Keontae Johnson, who collapsed on court the other day who remains in critical but stable condition against Florida State. Now, I didn't watch the video, just read the story. And anytime you see something like that, the first thing that comes to mind when you think of college sports is Hank Gathers, the one-time player of Loyola Marymount back in 1990 when he collapsed on the court and ended up dying, as well as on the pro level where Reggie Lewis, the one-time Boston Celtic in the playoff game against the Charlotte Hornets in 93, collapsed on the court. Then actually came back, played a little bit later in his career, but then after his career, playing in a pickup game, collapsed and then passed away. One of those things where no one wants to see that in any sport, but hopefully the kid is recovering nicely and that he's able to make a complete comeback. Who knows if he's going to play this year? That remains to be seen, but first and foremost is his health. So let's uh, send our thoughts and prayers his way to get back with a speedy recovery. Now to the baseball before we get to our hero in zero of the week. As I've said weeks ago, this is going to be a long, cold, hard winter. And unless you were jumping up and down with the Lance Lynn trade and Rice Alley Iglesias for the Reds traded to the Angels in a package that the Angels actually, I'm sure they're doing cartwheels right now because they need pitching in the worst way and now they have a closer on their team. And what does that say about the Reds who made it to the playoffs even in a 60-game season? But now they're ready to pawn off pieces as if, ah, we don't care. We're not going to be able to pay these guys. So let's just give away some of our top talent. We know that the Trevor Bowers of the world, they could be in all the rumor mills, JT Real Mutos, the George Springers, etc. But nobody's even come close to having those guys sign on the dotted line. DJ LeMay, who's another one, where Brian Cashman, and I'm sure to the chagrin of their Yankee fan base, saying that we're going to try to re-sign him. When you hear Brian Cashman say that, you know that this is going to be a long offseason. Let's start there. For him to even say try, and I know he's got to be PC. He's not going to come out and say, oh yeah, it's going to be a a slam dunk. It's going to be automatic, etc. No. But for him to say we're going to try to, please. 
to me, that speaks volumes. And that's not to say that the Yankees aren't going to resign him, but it just tells you the climate of baseball, not only just for this year, but as I said a couple of weeks ago, next year with the collective bargaining agreement ending at the end of next season, there's no way that these teams are going to want to sign these players for five, six, seven years at 150 to 200 to 250 million dollars, knowing that there are no fans coming anytime soon, despite the vaccine on the way. And on top of that, what's going to happen with the CBA where you know it is going to be an all out brawl to the end as to which party is going to be the last team standing at the end of these negotiations. And when you're the Mets and what they've done here, now I know some Mets fans are even crying, oh, look at this. James McCann, he's a guy that has some promise, potential, but why can't we get JT Real Muto? Or why can't we get a better gift under our tree other than this guy? Last week they did sign Trevor May, or really two weeks ago, to be a part of that bullpen. He of formerly the Minnesota Twins, which I thought was a very good pickup. Now, with McCann, I feel that's also a solid signing. Four years, $40 million, not a ton of money. And again, people can say, Jay Reels, please, it's not about the money anymore. You got an owner that's willing to spend cash. But even he said, we're not going to spend frivolously. We're not going to do that to placate our fans. We're going to do this smart. We're going to do this as wise as possible. And they're doing it the right way. And I can't believe I'm actually going to say this in the same sentence, but I trust Steve Cohen to do the right thing here. Unlike the Wilpons for decades upon decades. JT Real Muto, I understand. The Met fan probably wanted him. They were shaking the blue and orange pom-poms for him. But a guy who's going to be 31 by opening day and already has a bad hip and you're not going to give a long-term contract to that type of player, especially if he's going to start breaking down. And with the... National League not looking to implement the DH for 2021. Now, who knows what that means for 2022 and beyond with the CBA. That remains to be seen. But with no DH next year, so imagine if you sign this guy and he's hurt and he can only DH, but that goes on top of Pete Alonso, Dom Smith. I mean, it would have been a disaster. So I say to Steve Cohen, I applaud him for not trying to break the bank to bring him to New York, knowing that he could be a liability with his hip. And that he's 31 and he plays a grueling position. That's number one. The second thing is that the Mets are on the verge of hiring Jared Porter, an assistant GM for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, I'm sure he's a young guy who's into the analytics and is maybe a guy that's on the come up considering that he had also been a part of the Red Sox and I believe the Cubs as well as part of their staffs. So now he's going to come here with whatever knowledge he's gained over those years and he's going to bring it to New York under Sandy Alderson and obviously under Steve Cohen. So let's give him a shot. Now we understand that the McCann move wasn't under his watch. We all know that this is going to be collaborative. So we'll wait and see how Porter does here as they try to get the bigger free agents, whether your name is Trevor Bauer or even George Springer. And if you're the Mets, that's the guy I'm going to go for. You need a center fielder. He's a guy that will be able to patrol the outfield where you have Conforto in right. And then I guess you'll have J.D. Davis right now in left if you're going to put McNeil at second. Or maybe you put J.D. Davis at third. You're going to put Dom Smith out there. You have a ton of people you can put out there in left field as of right now. But Springer's a guy, as we all know, he's a winning player. He's a gamer. He performs well in the postseason. He's a clutch player. That's a guy, again, what are you going to give him? Is he going to come to New York five years at $125 million? That's all I want to pay him. I don't want to pay him six, seven years. And he's a guy that's also 30 years old too. That's not to say that he's on the back end of his career. But at the same time, you got to be wise here. They got to be smart. They're just not going to throw a boatload of money at this guy and then expect with everything that I've mentioned as far as the end of next year. And I understand the fans aren't going to worry about that right now, but that does play into this whole equation when it comes to signing these big free agents. Not if you're the Mets, the Yankees. I'm talking about all of baseball. So that's something just to keep in mind. I want Springer here. He's a guy that I look forward to. Forget about Bauer. I don't want him here. He's going to be too much of a headache, with, especially with the media and Twitter. I, I don't want that. And I understand he had a Cy Young. He's coming off a Cy Young performance. And why not put him there with Jacob DeGrom? He had back-to-back Cy Youngs. Yeah, sounds great. I'll pass. 
So that's what we got with the hot stove. Not really cooking. You probably got one back burner that's flickering, and that's all you have. Other than that, the Phillies hired Dave Dombrowski to be president of baseball operations. They needed that in the worst way because the Phillies, who right now are hurting financially, and with all the other teams in the division making moves, whether you're the Atlanta Braves and what they've done this offseason and the Mets, I know the Nationals haven't really done much, but you figure they're going to do something here at some point. And then the Marlins made the postseason last year and they got a lot of young talent. But if you're the managing partner, John Middleton, and you bring in a guy like Dombrowski who has a big resume, winning in Florida with the Marlins in 97, and then just recently with the Red Sox, and knows baseball inside out, upside down, the whole nine, that was a deal that they had to make to try to get themselves not only a part of the NL East, which is going to be strong, you would think, come next year, but also to get themselves to heights that they haven't seen in over a decade. Now, the baseball team in Cleveland made some news last night where they're going to have a makeover of their organization, meaning that the Indians will be no more. Now, does that mean for 2021 and beyond? Does that mean, are they going to be called the Cleveland baseball team for next year as it's not going to be enough time for them to not only come up with a name, but maybe a uniform design, you would think the colors will stay the same, but what are they going to do as far as that goes? Well, we'll have to wait and see, but I do like it that they're not going to be called the Indians anymore, which will maybe put a little bit of pressure on the Kansas City Chiefs, maybe even the Chicago Blackhawks. The Atlanta Braves said that they weren't going to change their name based on some research that they've done over the past few years, but who knows? With the Indians now changing their name, what does that mean for the other teams in the sports? especially with the Braves. We'll wait and see what happens there. But I like that they're going to change their name. Remember, prior to the Indians, they were, I believe, called the Naps, and they were also the Cleveland Spiders. Why not bring back the Spiders? I know it sounds creepy, and maybe uh, whatever, but I like it that they're going to have this makeover, that they're going to change their name. I know the Cleveland Rocks could be one of it, considering that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Cleveland. So we'll wait and see. I, I just like that they're making that move, thinking ahead, and hoping that they could get it past them. I get that the citizens of Cleveland, they're not going to like that. They are synonymous with that name for over 100 years. But guess what? Times are changing. It's 2020. Let's get to it. All right, now to wrap up, to get to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week is none other than Al Michaels, who was voted the Fort Frick Award for Broadcasting, now enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame. What more can I say? And the funny thing is, he hasn't broadcasted a baseball game in 25 years. We know that Al is synonymous with the NFL, Sunday Night Football, even Monday Night Football going back to ABC in the past. But here, he gets the accolades in the Baseball Hall of Fame for broadcasting and baseball. Kudos to you, my guy. You're my hero of the week. And my zero of the week is Gerald Williams. Who is that, you must be wondering? If you haven't seen the video, that is the youth football coach from Savannah, Georgia, for striking his young player not once, but twice which was caught on video as the kid was walking off the field during the Youth Football National Championship in Florida. Right after that, he was shown the door as he was banned from the league, also fired from his job as a counselor at the sheriff's office in Chatham County where he lives. Now, the mom of the boy declined to press charges, but what in the hell possessed him to do that is beyond me. I don't care if that was his own kid. For him to do that and have that display on the field to not only smack the kid once but twice to where the second time... The kid fell to the ground. Terrible optic. Who knows? It's career suicide on his part. But Gerald Williams, my man, you are my zero of the week. That'll do it for episode 169. I appreciate you all. I really do from the bottom of my heart for taking the time out to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Amazon Music, because all that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there and in turn generate interest for those who are not familiar with this podcast so I can get them on as guests, whether that's the former or current athlete, the blogger, sports writer, studio host, you name it. I want to have them on there to share their experiences with me so I could in turn share that with you on everything that's happening in sports. If you want to send me a message, comments, questions, criticism, praise, whatever it is, you could do so on any of my social media accounts, so whether that's on Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, on Twitter, 
J Reels One, just a number on Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, or the old fashioned way by email at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please submit whatever it is you have. I'll be able to follow up with you ASAP. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to the podcast, to what it is that I do to keep the website up, to keep my production going, you could do so at www.patreon.com. That's P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Anything that you want to contribute to that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate. Because if you do or do not know, or if you've come to the grips where, hey, this J Reels knows what he's talking about, he's a little funny, he's crazy, zany, whatever it is, because this is in my DNA, people. This is what I love to talk about. This is what I love to share with everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>